Hi, this is Aaron Rios, lead pastor of Garden City Church in Beverly, Mass. I pray that you are enriched and encouraged as you press on towards the cause of Christ. Well, it should come as no surprise if you have any uh, sibling, older brother, younger brother, sisters. I've got a younger sister. She's about 10 years younger than me. And so my relationship with her was different than my older brother, who's about uh, three years older than me. So uh, we shared a lot of the same experiences, played with G.I. Joe's together, Transformers. I was always the Decepticons for some reason. Uh, somebody made that choice. I was always the bad guy. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what was up with that, but... You know, if you have a sibling, you're going to find yourself in conflict with people that are closest to you. And you're going to find yourself in conflict with people that aren't that close to you, neighbors. and But it's different when it's people that are close to you. Because it's the things that you fight about uh, with people that are closer to you. With your neighbors, maybe they tore up your lawn or maybe they, you know, you, it's going to be external things. But with the ones that are closest to you, it's a different fight for power. It's a different fight for authority. You know, my kids, they used to argue over portion sizes of food. It's really funny, you know, like they'd get a cookie, one of them, and I'd say, hey, break a piece off for your sister. And so she'd break her off like a crumb, hand it to her. And I'm like, that's not fair. Come on, break her off a reasonable piece. She's like, okay, I'll share. And she breaks off another piece. And so what we started doing is the problematic child, we will hand, we'll hand them the, the cookie and say, do me a favor, split it in two and give a piece to your sister. And so without fail, you'll see her break off like a tiny piece. And then I'll say, all right. And then I'll take the larger piece and I'll give it to the other sibling. And I'll say, there you go. If you thought that was fair for her, then you go ahead and keep that. And we'll just split it that way. And you know what? That actually really remedied that, that situation. So now anytime it comes down to cutting off a piece, they've got their rulers and their compasses out and they're measuring it like down to the, to the, inth of it all like just getting like the accurate you know size everything is like down to the t but but it's amazing the things that we argue about and so when i run into this portion in in luke the ninth chapter i'm going to start with verse 46 it says and an argument started out among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest and i laugh at this because luke luke's written this this synopsis of christ and so he is among those disciples and so i can look back now and remember the reasons i had fights or arguments or problems from a long time ago and just shake my head and go man what in the world I got in an argument with my brother over Nintendo, you know, like in the moment I would have talked about it. But in retrospect, I look back and I just imagine Luke right now. He's writing this story out. He's recapping and and I can just see him just shaking his head that we were with Christ Jesus, the king of glory. And we're arguing over who would be the greatest. Huh. Time gives perspective, let me tell you. So let's keep reading. It says, and then Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. And he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Master, John said, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Don't stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. The old King James and some of the old translations says, and he set his face. That's the name of this 
this message. So a little bit of the backstory. Jesus has just performed a great sign and a great teaching. He said the 5,000, um, and you've probably heard, or maybe you haven't, uh, but that was only men. And so if you consider the women and, and the children that were possibly there, I mean, there were definitely were children there uh, because one of the children gave Jesus to fish and bread. And so it's possible to have had up to 12,000 to 14,000 uh, at this incredible sign that Jesus performed with the feeding of the 10,000 or feeding of the 5,000. So after that, Jesus then takes Peter, James, and John and they head up to a mountain to pray. Well, Jesus went to pray. The other ones went to take a nap. A little side note, uh, it, it's just kind of helps us kind of put this in, in reality. Where did Jesus go? Jesus possibly went up Mount Tabor or Mount Hermon. It's kind of cool because if you you can kind of see where these things take place. If you take a, a trip to Israel, you can actually get an idea of where actual events happened. And so the transfiguration is really significant. I, I, wanna, I wanna kind of divert for a second here. Now, I'm not a, a numerologist. A lot of people put a lot of weight on n numbers and um, I'm not that good with math. And so that's not really my thing, but I do I do see a relevance for it. Um, and, I, and I think it's very interesting and I think it's, it's, it's really cool. But um, in, in this part, this is really significant. I, I wanna, to take note that the the transfiguration story appears in three uh three of the gospels so three different accounts and and then elsewhere there's a reference made um to the transfiguration um but the account was witnessed uh and it's documented three times in the gospels and in all three accounts of the transfiguration of jesus we're given the names of three disciples who accompanied him right and then we also see um three other witnesses, two of them being Elijah and Moses and the third one being God the Father. So we've got three carnal witnesses. You got three heavenly celestial witnesses. Uh, and now the reason why this is significant is because in the Old Testament, we're told that a testimony is established in the mouth or two to three witnesses. And, uh, and so you've got this testimonial uh, of the deity and the glory of God appearing in Christ. And so this transfiguration the greek word is metamorpho um you're probably familiar with the word metamorphosis which means to literally or in some instances figuratively change in this narrative uh what's actually happening here is is it means that what is happening on the outside is a reflection of what is already on the inside the prefix meta means to change and morph means to form that there's a transformation of form. And in this case of the transfiguration, the reality of who Jesus is becomes unveiled before the eyes of the disciples. Jesus's divine nature throughout this whole portion has been veiled. Um, you can read in Hebrews in 19, it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new living way opened for us through the curtain of his body. So the glory of God was veiled in Christ in the human form and the transfiguration was a glimpse. And when that transformation took place, the Shekinah glory of God was made visible in the sun. And we see that there's a voice from heaven that attests 
to the deity and sonship of Christ. This is only the second time in scripture where there's an audible voice of God. We saw that in, in uh, the baptism of John in his ministry. It was publicly, you could hear God's voice. And now once again, you can hear God's voice publicly. And this incredible occasion has just taken place. Uh, I like that Peter just opens his mouth like a like a really excited child he oh this is so good master we should we should set up some some tabernacles for everybody this is so good i'm so excited i don't know what's coming out of my mouth right now i can just i can just picture it but god speaks this no no no, no. this this is my son listen to him upon coming down from the mountain they they see a large crowd probably a residual from the five thousand that were there just hanging out and the demon possessed boy and Disciples were unable to tend to the boy. And so Jesus, with but a word, drives out this demon and the boy is delivered. And this is really an evidence of where the disciples are at in life. So in this story, I want to hone in on just three things. I want to hone in on position, ambition, and division. After experiencing great things, they begin to grovel over position. After great things, they after the excitement of all that's just happened, they, they're still small-minded. Jesus tells us is looking towards the big picture, the cross. What's your big picture? You know, what, what do you walk away with after you read the Bible? What do you walk away with after church, you know? Uh, you walk away thinking about what you're going to have for lunch, or is there a, is there a paradigm shift? Is there a, a change of perspective? Do, you, do your eyes get lifted up and looking towards things of greater importance and things that really matter? What's your big picture? Some, some of the things that really detract from the big picture uh, is coming to grips with who Christ truly is, you know, like the significance, the deity the Lordship, Christ as Savior, coming to grips with the cross and its relevance today, knowing that you've been called to pick up a symbol of death, of flesh, and walk in a way of newness and spiritual life. These are hindrances to, to coming to Christ. The cross in particular, because the cross, it threatens your position, it threatens your ambition, and the cross divides. So that's what I want to hone in on today, the position. It says in verse 46, and an argument started out among them as to which of them might be the greatest. The commentator suggests that this actually might not have been the first time that the disciples had a conversation like this. And it reflects how little they really grasped of the ministry they were involved in. You know, what was taking place right in front of them was being viewed through a very self-ambitious paradigm. They still could not recognize the eternality of Christ's ministry. And another commentator I read elsewhere said, suggests that in the original language, the actual wording was, rather than an argument started and a thought arose in them. And this would suggest the possibility that Satan may have actually seeded this thought. The ambition for position can cause us to speak at the wrong time. See, Jesus makes it clear to them that his mission was leading to the cross, but they just didn't get it. They were not looking in the right direction. They weren't looking towards Jerusalem where Jesus was looking. Instead, they were looking to opportunity. Is ministry opportunity for you? Is, it, is ministry about opportunity? Is it ministry about position? Is ministry for you momentary or is ministry about the eternality of Christ? Is, is ministry about the future and deeper, greater reality? James 4.1 says, 
What causes those quarrels and fights among you? Do they not come from the evil desires that war within you? So here we find the disciples in quarrel, in fighting, in argument. They've just been around the great miraculous things of God, yet evil desires are raging within them. And those evil desires are desires that are intended to satisfy your temporary. What's your temporary right now? It, it positions that are not directed towards the cross. You know, when you're working towards a position that doesn't have eternal significance and it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme, only seek to satisfy the temporary. Did you realize that often the work that we pour our life into only leads to an acute moment? So that one person that works so hard to become the president or CEO, that's only a moment. That's only a season of life. We pour our life to experience something for a season. Yeah, maybe you've been a CEO for 25 years, but at some point that position is going to come to an end. You'll find that that great position you labored over is now in the rearview mirror. God's calling us to labor towards the eternal. Verse 47 says, but Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their heart, took a child and stood him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me for the one who is least among all of you. This is the one who is great. Jesus doesn't confront that conversation or the thought, but rather uh, outrightly, but instead he responds to what's happening in their hearts. Notice that he doesn't even condemn them, but he just gently really just gets in there to try to navigate them and bring them to a, uh, the main point. And it, here's the main point. It, greatness is not in position. Greatness is in submission. Power isn't in position. Power's in submission. Power's in reception. Listen, the Bible tells us in John 1, 12, to those who received him, uh, they're given power to be children of God. Reception comes through humility. I bow my knee and I humble myself and say, God, fill me with all the things I don't have because everything that you're looking for isn't in me. You gotta fill me. Scripture really commands us to cease striving so hard, being so ambitious, except for making Christ the center. Are you challenged by that? The cross conforms ambition. Why is this important? Because Jesus couldn't bypass the cross. You understand that the, the cross is the place of encounter. Jesus doesn't bypass the cross, but submitted to the will of the Father. In fact, it was the perfect will of God that led him to the cross. He, Jesus always maintained a position of like son of God, a childlike submission and obedience. Just led him to the cross. And ambition can cause us to lose focus on the task. Ambition can fill us with all sorts of wrong motives and hidden desires, and sometimes that's implanted by the flesh and, and possibly even the devil. Ambition can drive us to rise to a status that even, even Jesus resisted. Ambition and the cross of Christ can divide us. Look at this here, John, the, the 49th verse, it says that John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we try to pre prevent him because he does not follow along with us. This reminds me of the earlier encounters that Jesus had with the disciples. At any time, Jesus, or excuse me, that uh, the earlier encounters Jesus had with the Pharisees, that any time Jesus stepped out and did something powerful, uh, but it was on the Sabbath day, they were more concerned that he broke the law on the Sabbath day rather than healed somebody or raised somebody from the dead. And so this person is being delivered and they're not happy with it. Rather than rejoicing and celebrating, they're more concerned that this part, this person isn't, like in our crew, 
Disciples lose sight or they never recognize the greatness of Jesus. They, everything for them is still process. They were looking to process as a source of power. And while process can lead you to a place of power, process isn't the source. Jesus is the source. And so the disciples, I believe, were concerned that somebody else was declaring the name of their rabbi, but they weren't really following in their crew. And they're saying, wait a minute, these guys aren't a part of the process. These guys aren't a part of the schooling. Therefore, they have no access to it. Little did they know that Jesus was getting ready to graft in the whole entire world to give them a touch and access into what would rightfully belong to all the children of God. The disciples didn't understand that. They were looking to process. Are you looking to Jesus as a process or as the power? What I mean is, is church a process or is church a means to know Christ better? What about singing or praying or reading your Bible? Are these all processes for you? That your day-to-day -day Christian walk, are you doing it because you have to, because you feel like it's just a process and if you do this just enough times, then you're going to get some kind of a blessing or you're going to get accepted in heaven or are you looking to Christ? Jesus said to them, don't hinder this guy because he's not working against us, so he's for us. And this is interesting because the greatest need is the declaration of the name of Jesus. And they're looking to, they're looking at inclusivity. They're looking at control. They don't want their circle expanding because they still don't understand who Jesus is. And if Jesus rises to a place of kingship, then that's gonna mean less positions for them. They don't wanna share position. They don't wanna share power. How often has religion been used to control people and divide? Jesus is not for that. God's not, God's power is celebrated and expressed most potently in community. We come together as a church because we want to see a demonstration of God's power. We come together as a church and we pray for one another because something is expressed and powerfully revealed in community. The Bible says when days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. They were looking to themselves. He was looking to Jerusalem. And I wanna ask you, so what was in Jerusalem? The cross. This is the purpose, this is the point of it all. In all of our life, day-to-day -day activities and functions, we can't lose sight of the main thing, and that's the cross. I wanna ask you, are you looking to the cross? Bible tells us in Romans 1, 16 and 18, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God that comes by faith from start to finish, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I wanna encourage you this morning, fix your eyes on this cross. The cross that Jesus died on is the same cross that's calling to you. What, what, what do you mean, Pastor Aaron? What I'm trying to tell you is that the cross is a place where you present yourself and you willingly take it up because God is commanding us to pick up a cross, right? Jesus had to pick up his cross and he had to walk down the road where he was mocked and he was spat upon and he was mistreated and he was wrongfully accused and wrongfully executed. Why in the world would God call me to that? Because your flesh has to be put down. Your flesh has to be put down because it was the power of God revealed in Christ upon resurrection that makes the story so great. And so the faster you can embrace your cross, the faster you can experience the resurrection. And what's gonna die on your cross? I believe it's gonna be our stubborn hearts, our will, 
our way, our grasp for power, our grasp for different ambitions that are going to take us off the focus of the main thing. And the main thing is the eternality of the soul. The main thing is the gospel of Jesus. God is calling you to pick up a cross and follow him. And that's not something you can do in your earthly strength. This is something that the spirit of God can do in you. That's going to cost you. Are you willing to lay that alcohol aside? Are you willing to put down your, your smoking habits? You can, it's not about, is this a sin or is that a sin? It's about what do you have in your hand that you could give to God? When I came to the Lord, I spent years wandering on my own. I spent years doing my own thing, trying to chase down a music career and living like hell. And so when God finally called my name and I turned to him, I said, God, I have nothing to offer you. I've been living horribly. My hands are filthy and all the things that I did, they're worthless because they're of me. And God looked at me and said, that's what I want. Put that on the altar. Put that on the altar. You see, in the Old Testament, they would lay sacrifices on the altar. And while God demanded the most beautiful thing, the beautiful spotless lambs, he demanded the most beautiful thing. Uh, but the same thing happened. It was burnt. It was consumed. And the fragrance of the consumption pleased God. And so today we're living because of the cross. Jesus was the perfect lamb. And so we just present what we have. The sacrifice has already been laid. But let me tell you that God's fire can still consume and burn. Burn it all up, all the nastiness, all the ugliness, all the things that you think are unworthy and unpleasing to God. Just take what you have, lay it before the altar. Let the fire of God consume it. Let him refine you. Let him bring you to life. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I am determined to set my face towards the prize. I am determined to set my face towards what matters, towards what you've called me to. But I can't do this on my own. I need your strength. I need your power. I'm asking you, oh God, that you would visit with every listener and that your spirit would be poured out into their lives and that you would help us, Lord, to direct ourselves towards the main thing, the important thing, the thing that matters for your glory and for your honor. Thank you, God, that you love each one. That you've got great plans. And I pray that you would transform lives for your glory and honor. In Christ's name, amen.
Hey, thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. I pray you were encouraged, enriched, and inspired to chase after God. If you enjoyed today's podcast, why don't you take a minute and share it? Let's encourage each other with God's word. And remember, if you do not have a church to attend, we invite you to visit us at Garden City Church. We're located at 140 Bridge Street in Beverly, Massachusetts, and we meet in the Emmanuel Congregational Church building. If you need prayer or an encouragement, I invite you to email me at pastor at gardencitychurch.net, or you can visit me online at aaronrios.com or any social media outlet. Hey, till next time, keep pressing on towards Christ. God bless you.